Well, good morning, Nona Church family. So happy that you're with us today. Hey, we're joined by a group of folks that are watching us online, uh, missionaries who we support around the world, as well as people that catch this message later on during the course of the week. Would you put your hands together and welcome those that are joining us online today? So happy to have you with us in the house and in the room. Uh, if we have not met before, my name is Colin. I serve as a lead pastor here at Nona, and it is truly our honor and our privilege to have you with us here uh, this morning. After service, I'll be up front. would love to be able to introduce myself to you, hear a bit about your story, uh, and help you get connected here at Nona. Uh, there's a lot of great things going on in the life of our church, and one of those things uh, is connected to what God is doing in the midst of this series. Last week, we kicked off a three-part series titled Build the Future, where we're asking this question. What does it look like to build a great future in our personal lives, to build a great future for our church and for one another? Uh, and in the midst of this series, uh, what we're going to wrap up with next week is a conversation about how we build our future together as a church. Next Sunday, I'm going to cast a bit of vision for 2023, give you some updates on what's going on uh, with our permanent facility and some good news that is happening there as well. And it's a Sunday you're not going to want to miss. But today, I want to talk primarily about your future. I want to talk to you about this reality that we all face that is asking some significant questions about uh, what do we do when we're wondering what's going to happen next. And the series has been anchored by a verse that has been really important for me in my own life. It's the verse that I've been praying for my life, for our family, and for our church since 2016. And we thought it would be a good time to invite you into that prayer so that we can actually pray it together. It's a verse that's found in an obscure book uh, written by an obscure prophet, uh, the prophet Habakkuk. And it goes this way. In fact, I want you to say it with me. We're going to say this verse together today out loud. It goes like this. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This has been the prayer. And the question we've been asking is, how do you build a great future? And what we'll learn in this series is that we build the future by becoming a people of remembrance, a people of presence, and a people of passion. Last week, we looked at the first part of this verse, and we learned that before you build the future, it's important to remember God's faithfulness. And you were given a stone of remembrance, a reminder that God has been faithful, that God has met you in the past, and that when we hear stories of God's faithfulness, it gives us hope for the future. But when we see stories of God's faithfulness in our life, it gives us confidence that the God who was is the God who is and the God who will be, that he can be trusted. One of my favorite moments last week was uh, when a gentleman in our church walked up to me with his stone, and he had two words written on it, and he said, I remember when God provided for me here, and it's transformed my life. And my hope is that you found a time this week to share a story with a loved one or perhaps with somebody in your community group. Or you just took time to reflect on and remember how good God really has been because God has been good. But today we'll continue on by looking at the same verse, but looking at it from a different angle. We studied last week, Lord, I've heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds. And this week and next week, we're going to look at the second part of this verse, which says, renew them in our day, in our time make them known, in wrath remember mercy. What we find here in Habakkuk's prayer is that it's a request that God is going to act in a time frame. 
Next week, we'll look at how Habakkuk prays and what he prays for. But this week, I really want us to focus in on these words. Renew them in our day and in our time. There's a thing that Habakkuk is focused on when he's thinking about the future, and it's the present moment. He's asking God to move now. There's something beautiful about living in the present, isn't there? Uh, Have you ever been in a situation before where you lost your cell phone or you left your cell phone in the car or perhaps at home and you realize you didn't have it? And there's that initial moment of panic, oh my goodness, no one is going to be able to get into contact with me. And then there's this moment where you realize no one is going to be able to get in contact with me. It's nice, isn't it, when you are free of the distractions of the moment and can be present to what's happening. Um, This week, I tried to be as present as I could and didn't do as good of a job as I wanted to, but was reminded of the power and the beauty of presence. Um, I made a promise to my daughter three and a half years ago that I would take her to a Broadway show. And uh, she was excited about this three and a half years ago. It was a, a birthday gift for her. And then COVID hit, and we weren't able to take her to the show. And so year one goes by, year two goes by, year three goes by, and she's like, hey, Dad, something you've said is that outer bridges never break a promise. Feel like you're breaking a promise. And so uh, this week I called the box office, were able to uh, get my hands on some tickets. And on Tuesday, I picked her up uh, from her practice, uh, drove her home, and I said, hey, do you have any homework or anything you've got to do this week? And she's like, well, I've got a a pretty big quiz that I've got to get done tomorrow. I've got a test that's coming up as well. I probably should come home and go home and really focus in on studying. And in my mind, I was like, oh, man, Uh, people won't remember the grades that you have in middle school, right? Like, those don't matter that much. And so... Uh, I said, hey, get dressed up, and she dressed up, and I took her to this restaurant called the Monroe, this great downtown spot. We had a really good time together, enjoyed a really good meal. I said, you can order whatever you want on the menu, and then I saw what the, how much the steak cost on the menu. I was like, everything but the steak on the menu, uh, and we had a great time together, enjoyed a really good meal She got a little mocktail. That was kind of cute. I was like, it's just lemonade. That's all it is. Don't act like you're older than you are. And then we walked over to the show, had a great time together. And perhaps my favorite moment was that we got to hold hands together for about two hours. And I thought I was giving her the gift, but in reality, she was giving me the gift, the gift of time. Because it hit me. I, I don't know how many more years this is the kind of point of relationship that we'll have. I hope it's for a very, very long time. But it was a beautiful reminder of the power of presence. Um, I didn't really pull out my phone until the end of the night. And when I did, I found myself texting while she was talking and found myself thinking, what in the world am I doing? Because there's something really beautiful about just being present to the moment. Being present to the moment, it's, it's what we long for. When we experience it in our life, we say things after a long dinner or meal, man, it was really great to not have that distraction or going out on a date and saying, man, it was really nice to not, you know, have the laptop open or not be thinking about work. Yet it is so hard, isn't it, to live a life that is present to the moment. And part of the reason why it is is because we're always thinking about the future, We're asking questions about what's around the corner and what's coming next and how do we manage the the things that need to be managed now so we can have an idealized outcome later. We ask questions like, what is this economy going to do? 
And who's going to win the midterms? And will he get the courage to finally ask me out on a date? Everybody knows that he's into me. I know that he's into me, but he still hasn't asked me out on a date. When is he going to get the courage to ask me? He probably isn't. Will the bonus, will the bonus be what I was expecting? Probably not, right? Will our kids grow up and still love Jesus? All these questions that we ask about the future. And in fact, for today's message, I want to I invite you to do something that I think could be really helpful for us, is I want this message to be couture. I want this message to be specific to you and the thing that you're thinking about right now. So I want to ask you this question, and I want you to process it over the next couple of minutes as we enter into our teaching for today. What is something in the future you just wish you could get an answer to? Like, think about it for a moment. What is something about the future you just wish you could get an answer to now? Like if you could have an appointment with God where God had to give you an answer for the thing that's coming down the line, what is it that you would want to know? I want you to hold on to that today. Because how we interact with that internal longing to know what's coming down the line, to know what the future is going to hold, how we choose to interact with that in the present moment, it will make or break our spirituality. It will have a profound effect on our ability to see what God is doing. And what we find in this verse, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. We find that Habakkuk is praying about the present. Habakkuk's hopes are about what's right in front of him. Habakkuk is thinking about now. And I think there's something instructive and beautiful for us when we think about how to build the future. Because we build the future by first being a people of remembrance, remembering what God has done because it gives us hope and confidence for what will happen in the future. But if we're not careful, we'll jump from remembering to running into thinking about the future without stopping and pausing and being present to the very moment. And it's actually in our willingness to be present to what is happening now that will give us the strength to build a kind of future that's not built on fear, not built on paranoia, not built on trying to um, manipulate outcomes, but built on trust. Because there are things that God is doing now that if we don't see them, will begin to erode our confidence and what he can do later. So today, I, I want to lay out three things for us today a framework for us. What does it mean to be a person of presence? Why does being a person of presence matter? And thirdly, I want to get really practical. How do you practice being present to the moment? So let's look at this first question. What, what does it mean to be a person of presence? But when I use that word presence, what I'm saying is presence is the ability to be fully committed and engaged in the moment. You know people that are like this, right? A person who's fully engaged in the moment, they're the kinds of people we like being around. Because none of us like being around people that are living in the past. You ever been around like the Letterman jacket, Larry, you know, talking about how he was amazing in 1985 and how he could have been a, a quarterback in the NFL if he just hadn't twisted his knee and busted his ankle. But you've seen that man throw a football and you're thinking, my goodness, you couldn't hit the side of a barn, right? That kind of guy. There's Letterman Larry who's always reflecting on and thinking about and, and embellishing the past. 
And then there's like futuristic, you know, Farah. And she's always thinking about the future. And she's got 15 different plans and contingencies. And, uh, you know, if this doesn't work, then we're going to do this. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to do that. And if you ever go on vacation with this person, it's not a vacation. Like, it is a business meeting at 8.05 a.m. We are going to get up and we're going to go to yoga. And it's like, it's vacation. I don't want to do that. Oh, we're going to do it because it's on the itinerary. And you're like, you should go on a vacation by yourself because I need a vacation from you, right? (laughs) What does it look like to live present? Because the kind of a person who's a person of presence, they're marked by genuine peace. They're like a non-anxious presence. Like when you're around them, if you're a high-stress person, it's hard to to keep that level of stress because they're not going to match your energy. This person is self-forgetful. They're immersed in awe. They're more interested in asking you questions and learning about you. It's, It's amazing how they can be just awestruck by a moment. And these people carry deep joy They are authentically grateful. Like they are commenting and saying, man, isn't God great? And isn't that beautiful? And you look at them and you're like, how do you have time to see all of these different things? You ever been around a person like this? Give me a head nod if you have, yeah. My wife is like this. Stacy embodies this kind of non-anxious presence that, that slows me down in a lot of ways. We want to be these people. We want to be people that are filled with genuine peace, that are self forgetful that of deep joy. And here's why being a person of presence matters. Because living in the past can distract us from the present. Living in the past and dwelling in the past and thinking about the regret or the decision we should have made differently or wondering what would have happened if we had made a different choice, it it distracts us from what's happening right in front of us. You cannot simultaneously live in the past and be present to the moment. And then on the same side, living in the future, it can devolve into anxiety. And now when I use the word anxiety today, I'm not talking about the clinical anxiety that, that can be true that we carry because of a, an issue with our brain chemistry or perhaps even our genetic uh, makeup. I'm talking about the anxiousness that comes when, when we're just living our life and we find our body responding in ways that we didn't expect it to respond. It's the uncertainty you feel when you're waiting on the results of a medical scan. It's the nervousness that wells up inside of your stomach when you hear about rumors about layoffs. It's the feeling you you get while you're waiting for the the tryouts, uh, the roster to come out for, for tryouts, wondering if you made the team. You know what I'm talking about in your body? For some of us, it's our stomach. For others of us, it's our, our hands. We begin to sweat. We get nervous. We don't feel. We clam up. And for some of us, if we're honest, when the, we're looking at the roster and the tryout and, you know, did the person make it? It's not the student or the high school kid who's like, man, did I make the team? It's the parent that's like, we just spent a lot of money on camps and training and courses. Is our kid going to make it? You know what I'm talking about? You feel that nervousness, that angst, that anxiety? There's a great quote that comes from a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I want you to know that feeling you feel, you don't need to feel guilty about it. Uh, listen to this quote. It's, it's by a bunch of researchers who are looking at brain scans of people under stress. That's what they found. The, the researcher said, I'm continually impressed by how difficult it is for people who have gone through the unspeakable to convey the essence of their experience. It is so much easier for them to talk about what has been done to them, to tell a story of victimization and revenge. So people don't think they're dwelling on the past. 
than to notice, to feel, and to put into words the reality of their internal experience. You ever been there before? You feel something, but you don't know how to describe it? They said our brain scans had revealed how their dread persisted and could be triggered by multiple aspects of daily experience. They had not integrated their experience into the ongoing stream of their life. Now, look at, listen to this last line. They continued to be there and did not know how to be here fully alive in the present. Does that sound like you? So distracted, it's hard to be in the present. Thinking about the list of things that need to get done that you miss the conversation that you're having with the person that's sitting right in front of you. Worried about what's going to happen around the corner at the business or at the office or with the job. And that prevents you from being able to just sit down and enjoy what's happening right in front of you. We live in a world and a culture that is so focused on there, what happened back then, or what's going to happen in the future, that we miss out on what is happening in the now. And here's what I know, and here's what I hope you catch today. It is so important for us to become people that know how to live in the present because the present is the only place where we will get a firsthand view of what God is actually doing. In other words, if you're so focused on the future, don't be surprised that you miss what God is doing right now in the present. And you need what God is doing right now in the present to give you strength and confidence for what he can do in your future. So it is hard. It's hard not to be a person who dwells on the past. And it's hard not to be a person who's fixated and focused on the future. It is hard to be a person who lives in the present. So how do we do that? Like, is it possible or are these just cute words and a reminder to us of a thing that's impossible for us to get our, our hands around? Well, the good news is that that Jesus actually answers the question for us. He answers the question, how do you practice being present to the moment? If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is a place where Jesus is teaching uh, and perhaps his greatest message of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus uses illustrations and metaphors to cover the gamut of the lived experience. It's a beautiful piece of recorded history, documented sermon. It's his most brilliant sermon I think we have documented. And what I find so interesting is that of all of the things that Jesus could spend the majority of his time talking about, maybe how you ought to live or uh, what is right or what is wrong or um, you know, how you should uh, spend your, your, your money or those types of things, although he talks about that, the primary thing that Jesus spends the most time talking about has to do with your time. I'd say about 20% to perhaps even 25%, a significant portion of Matthew 6, one of these three chapters, is devoted to talking about the thing that you need the most help, and I need the most help, not only recognizing but stewarding. Time. You ever feel like you're running out of time? You ever feel like you don't have enough time? You ever feel like you don't know what's coming around the corner and you wish you could know what's going to be happening next time? You wish you could go back in time to fix something that you did back then so that you'd have a different experience now? The answer is yes. And Jesus speaks to us about time. 
In this text we're about to read, there are three times where Jesus says, do not worry. And I want you to beat me to the punch here. Every time you see do not worry on the screen, I want you to say it out loud as I'm reading it, okay? And I want you to say it out loud like, like you were in the room when Jesus was saying it. I want you to say it like, like you're about to give somebody advice that could change their life and save their life. That kind of energy. You got what I'm saying? Three times, all right? So here we go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 33. The first one is in verse 25. Jesus teaches and he says this, therefore I tell you, Great. I need that a couple more times for you. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now imagine for a moment you're in Jesus' audience. The people that are listening to Jesus teach us in the first century, they actually didn't know where their next meal was coming from. So when Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, they have every reason to worry about what they're going to eat because they're in a society where it's hard to come by food. This isn't a situation where, you know, church is over, you get in the car, and you drive to Chick-fil-A, and you remember it's closed on Sunday, and you think, what are we going to eat? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. Jesus would be speaking to a group of people that, if they were lucky, owned one pair of sandals and maybe one or two tunics. So when he says, don't worry about what you're going to wear, it's not like he's saying, hey, when you go into your closet and you've got a function or you've got an event and you walk into a closet filled with clothes and you come out and everybody's heard somebody they love say this, I don't have anything to wear. You guys ever heard this before? And it's like, that's not true. You just don't like what you have available to you to wear, right? That's not the situation here. They literally don't know where their next outfit's going to come from. Beyond that, these people are under Roman occupation. So where they're going to live, it's a big question. Because if the Roman guard walks into your house and says, we need your house, you know what rights you had as a first century person in Israel? Zero. Which meant you could lose your home at any time or in any moment. This is the real situation that Jesus is speaking to. I mean, if I had to modernize it for today, it might sound something like this. Therefore, do not worry about who will win the midterms or what will happen with interest rates or what you will do with your dating relationship. Is not life more than elections, the economy, or your relationship status? And then Jesus continues on and he begins to give advice, practical advice. And he says this, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, we know this because of research that worry actually does what? It takes hours from your life. Man, look at Jesus. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of you of little faith? So, here we go, ready? So, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, they run after all these things. And your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think there are three principles that Jesus gives us that allow us to become people who are present to the moment in this text. Three practical invitations that I think if we were to take a hold of could allow us to be people that are not so dwelling on the past that we deny what's happening in our reality or so distracted by the future that we forget what God's doing in the moment. Three things. Here's the first one. Write it down. Jesus invites us to look around. To look around. Uh, there's this beautiful scene in the musical Hamilton where um, Eliza, who is, um, is uh, married to um, Alexander Hamilton, who is a uh, roughshod, runaround guy whose time is the most important thing to him, and he's incredibly busy. She grabs him in this powerful scene as his wife holds his hand, and she looks at him in this beautiful voice, and she says, look around, look around, how, how lucky we are to be alive right now. Look at where you are and look at where you started. Isn't that enough? Look around. See, Jesus is giving this sermon on the mount outside. And in the midst of his teaching, I want you to imagine for a moment you're there in the crowd, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people. And as he begins to speak and as people are listening and he tells them, don't worry, you can imagine there's a murmur in the crowd. Don't worry, Jesus, do you know what Rome is like? Don't worry, Jesus, I don't know where my next meal is going to be. Don't worry, Jesus, my kid is sick and I don't know why they're sick. Don't worry, there's so many things to worry about. If you can imagine the murmuring happens in the crowd and, and Jesus looks up to the sky and there's a bird that's flying by and he points to the bird and he says, hey, that bird, look at that bird. Does that bird worry about the things that you're worried about? No. And if God will take care of that bird, how much more would he take care of the one who he says he loves? Um, look around at, at the, the flowers of the field. Like pick, pick up a flower as you're sitting down right now. And isn't it beautiful? I mean, if, if God would clothe and adorn a beautiful flower like this, don't you think he'll, he'll take care of you who he loves? It's a beautiful image of Jesus teaching and using metaphor right there in the moment. See, the problem is, is that we... We're not very observant people. And in, in many ways, I would say the thing that's on the screen that we go like this, dis, we do this a lot with, distracts us from the beauty that's all around us. And we can miss the beauty of what God is doing in a moment because we're so fixated on the things that we're worried about in the future. In fact, to illustrate this this morning, I'm going to ask you to take your hand, if you will. I want you to place it over on your heart. Go ahead and do that now. And as you're doing that, I want you to find your pulse. Feel it. If you can't find your pulse right now, you can't feel your heart beating, you need medical attention. <laughs> but do, do, you, do you feel that? Do you hear that? That's been happening for you. Since the moment you were in your mother's womb. And God has sustained that for you. Day by day. Hour by hour. 
minute by minute. If you would, would you take a deep breath in with me right now? Go ahead and take a deep breath in. Would you let that out? Do it one more time. Let that out. That pulse that you can feel, that breath that you're taking, that's sustained by a God who loves you and has a story that he's writing in your life. When you walk out of this room or when you log off from watching online and you walk by a blade of grass or by a tree or when you hold the hand of a loved one, I want you to understand that that God wants us to be a people that are present to the moment because when we stop and pause and just think about all that is happening in this moment, we realize that God's sustaining it. It reminds me of Colossians chapter 1 that says this about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now look at this. All things, not some, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in Christ all things hold together. That thing you're worried about with your family, in Christ, all things hold together. That financial situation you're worried about as you look at the markets and you wonder what's going on with the economy, in Christ, all things hold together. That, that medical diagnosis that you're waiting on a result from and you have no idea how you're going to manage what it means if it comes back in a way that you're not hoping it comes back, in Christ, all things hold together. And the promise of Colossians 1 is not that God's going to give you what you want if you just ask him. But the promise is even in the midst of life, handing us and dealing us a deck that maybe we wouldn't have preferred ourselves, that the one who is even responsible and around us will hold us together. If you look around and you take a moment and take stock of who God is and what he's doing in the moment, you'll find that he can be trusted for your future. But the problem is, so many of us are focused on what's coming next, we miss what he's doing now, which leads to heightened anxiety and greater worry, which leads us to be more focused on the future, which in the end erodes our soul and we fall apart, even though we have a God who wants to hold us together. Look around. Here's the second thing that I would give you. Slow down. I want you to look at the juxtaposition of these phrases. Look at the birds of the air, see how the flowers of the field grow, and then look at verse 32. The pagans run. So Jesus' invitation is to look at the birds and to stop and smell the roses. That's a pace that looks like walking. And Jesus compares walking to the pagans who run. That word for pagan is really around like the culture people that are outside of the, the way of Jesus. Jesus is saying, there's a way that we do life if you're following me. And that pace is a slowed down pace. The culture wants to run, but I walk. You know what's interesting in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? There's not one incident in Jesus' ministry where you ever see him running. Which is good news for me, right? Because I hate to run. And when people are like, Colin, why don't, you, why don't you run? It's good for your heart. It's good for your soul. I say, no, it's not. It's actually unbiblical because my Savior only walked. <laughs> Marathons are not of the Lord, all right? But Jesus was the most productive 
effective, culture-shaping person that ever lived. And he never rushed. He never ran. He lived a life at a pace that was slowed down. You need to hear me. We live in a culture that likes to run from thing to thing, relationship to relationship, job to job, busy schedule to busy schedule. And get this, I'm a married man. Both Stacey and I work full time and we have four children on the age of 12. What I'm not talking about today is a life that should only be experienced once you get to retirement. There's a way to live in the midst of busy that allows you to still have a slow down pace. But you need to hear me say this. You can't follow Jesus if you're running because all he does is walk. Jesus says, follow me. If you're running, guess where he's not? In front of you. And many of us are running at a pace, wondering where Jesus is, and he's like, I'm on a stroll. You've run out into the future. You've run out to try and figure things out on your own, but you're not going to speed me up. Because a hurried life or a hurried pace leads to a harried life. Dallas Willard has this great line where he says, hurry is a form of violence on the soul. And part of the reason why we get anxious about the future, we get nervous about what's coming around the other corner, is because we're moving at a speed that doesn't let us become aware of how God is moving right now. Alan Fadling has this great quote. He says, when my heart becomes a hamster wheel, my inner life becomes a blur. Am I describing any of our lives right now? When we're running so fast, it's hard for us to slow down. And listen, you can't look around if you're running at a fast pace. And the way in which you find peace for your soul in the midst of uncertainty is looking around and being present to what God is doing in the moment. But you can't look around until you what? Until you slow down. So Jesus says, you want to be a person of presence? Look around, slow down. And then he leaves us with this last point. Seek first. The word seek means to look deliberately, to have a process. Uh, when I lose my keys, which I do pretty much every day, the likelihood of me finding those keys uh, increases when I have a plan and a methodical way of looking as opposed to running around the house saying, where are my keys, where are my keys? Seek first. That word first insinuates something. If something is first, that means that another thing has to be what? It has to be second. It has to be even last. What you prioritize will determine the life that you realize. So Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and, there's the promise, all these things will be added unto you. The kingdom of God is the culture of heaven. Righteousness is the blessed way of living. At Nona, we've distilled this to call this the, the practices of the way of Jesus. We believe that, that if we're people that have intimacy with God through prayer and Bible reading, intentional rest, taking one day a week to, to rest in God's finished work, humility, reconciliation, honor, stewardship, and contentment, if we practice these things in our life, it will lead us to live at a pace that is slowed down so that we can look around. And we're trusting that as we live a slowed down life, looking around and being aware of what God's doing in the world, he will add to us that which he wants to add. That's the promise. Seek me first and all the other things will be added. Seek me first and all the other things will be added. 
But the problem is, is that we hear that from God, and then we live a life that does the direct opposite. We say, what I want is actually, is I want all of these things first. So we put all of the things that we want in life in first. How we want to spend our time, how we want to spend our money and resources, how we want to spend our energy. And then there's the, the craziness of life. There's the things that the kids have to do. There's the responsibilities we have at work and the emails that need to be replied to. Then, of course, there's the demands of friends and family and the older um, you know, parent that we're taking care of or the kids that need to get to a particular place. And we put this stuff in first because we think that's the way life's supposed to be. And then when it's time for Bible reading, we think, oh, I think I can work that in. Or church attendance, like, ah, maybe once a month we can get there. Uh, community group, ah, we'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. Uh, giving of our finances, I, I think that might be able to fit in. Uh, time with our loved ones and making sure that we're spending time with our, our community, yeah, I think that can happen. Uh, time with friends. And, and then all of a sudden we, we kind of realize there's not, there's not enough room for everything, is there? Quick raise of hands. How many of you feel like there isn't enough time to do the things that you need to do in your life? Anybody think, yeah, I'm not, I don't have enough time. I, I don't know how I'm supposed to get it all finished. And Jesus would say, well, hold on. I said, if you seek me first, and if you seek my kingdom and righteousness, that all these things would be added unto you. In other words, if you're delivered about putting in the most important things first, your time with me, your time with friends, your time with community, your time in the word, and then if you, you make that decision, then what might happen is all these other things, They'll be added. And guess, what, guess what's true about that? Guess what's still available? More room and margin for more blessing. And so many of us are living a life opposite of what Jesus has invited us into. We're asking God to bless our disobedience. God, I'm going to do what I want to do first the way that I want to do it. And then I'm going to take care of the emails and the work and the responsibilities and all of those things. And then if there's time left over, I'll give you my resources. If there's time left over, I'll give you my prayer life. If there's time left over, we'll try to make it to church. If there's time left over, then I'll try to get into a community group. If there's time left over, then I'll try to serve. If there's time left over, then I'll open up my Bible and read. And guess what? There's never enough what? There's never enough time. Because we've done it opposite. And God would say, if you seek me first, start your day with me in the word. Start your day with me in prayer. Put on the calendar the fact that you're going to be in a community group where you're going to get to church on Sunday. Decide ahead of time what you're going to put in that's most important. All the other things will be added to you. And there might be even more margin for me to bless you in a way that I want to bless you that you're not creating room for me to do. So here's the invitation to us to recognize that, that there's a future that's coming. And there's, a, there's some things that are uncertain. But the confidence, the strength, and the clarity we need to be able to navigate that future will only come if we take Jesus at his word. And Jesus would say, hold on, hold on. Look around be present to the moment. How? By slowing down so you can see me at work. 
And by reprioritizing your life, by putting the most important pieces in first, because when you do, we can build a future together that's free of fear, free of worry, and free of regret. Because you don't have to worry about who's building the future because you're allowing me to. And this is the good news. The good news is you don't have to worry about what the future holds because God is already in the future working on your behalf. Yeah, you can clap for that. That is worth clapping about. The thing you're worried about, God is already working on. And so don't run into a future missing what God is doing in the present. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Remember what he's done. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. Pay attention to what he's doing now. And can we plan for the future? Yes. Is there wisdom in preparing for what's to come? Yes. But let's do it on the firm foundation of who God has been and what God is doing right now. And my invitation to you would be let's become people that aren't so focused on the future and stressed out about what's coming that we miss the goodness of God right now. So look around. Slow down and seek him first. With that in mind, would you stand as we pray? I want to take a moment as we close out our service today uh, to invite you to close your eyes. And as you do, I want to invite you to consider how God might be speaking to you this morning. For some of you, if you're honest, your life has been marked by worry about a thing in the future. You're worried about interest rates right now. You're worried about inflation. You're worried about your work. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about your relationship. You're worried about the move. You're worried about the medical diagnosis. And God's invitation to you today is to take a deep breath and to look around at how he's already working on your behalf. To slow down so that you might be able to see him at work. And if that's you this morning, I asked you earlier in the service, what's the thing that you're worried about? The invitation or the question I would ask you this morning is, are you willing to place the thing that you're worried about in the hands of the one who's already working on your behalf? If that's you today, would you just open your hand now and say, yeah, I need to acknowledge that I've been worried about things that I need to be handing to my Heavenly Father to know that he's working on them on my behalf. For others of you in the room, the invitation today is really connected to this. Um, you have not been seeking first. Uh, you have said, there are all the things that I want in life, and so I'm going to do it my way. So you've allowed work to take a position in your life it should not. You've allowed disobedience in your stewardship to take a position in your life because you're afraid. You've allowed your need for control to get in the way of your willingness to trust God with your future or with your kid's future. And what you're finding is that there's not enough room for the most important things. 
you feel like you're running out of time, that there isn't enough time, stressed and overwhelmed. And God, through his presence, is telling you right now, the reason why you're stressed and overwhelmed is because you haven't been seeking first. And God would invite you today to return to him and to say, God, I want to put you first. I want to put you first in my relationships. I want to put you first in my mourning. I want to put you first in my stewardship. I want to put you first in my prayer life. And I want to trust that your promise in Matthew 6 is true. That if I seek your kingdom and righteousness first, all that other stuff, it'll be added. If you know that there's a part of your life where you have not been obedient to Jesus, where you have not placed him first, would you open your hand too as a sign to God saying, I know God that this is the case. And I'm asking you to give me the courage to change. With that in mind, let me pray for us. Father, I know for every one of us in the room, this message hits us differently because we're worried about different things when it comes to the future. But God, I pray that even in this moment, you would remind us through your grace that we can trust you. You've been faithful in the past and you're faithful in the present moment. Would you give us eyes to see it? For those of us that have been allowing fear to stop us from walking with you in obedience. For those of us that have been running ahead instead of walking with you and following you, would you allow us to slow down, to look around, and to seek you first? These are the things we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody in this place says, amen.